0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Blister Cinematic on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today we are talking about probably the craziest and arguably the greatest snow sports film of all time, Apocalypse Snow. This 26 minute film was seen by millions of people when it first came out, and nearly 40 years later, this film still feels wildly innovative and fresh. And joining me to dive deep into this glorious apocalyptic feature is Mountain Gazette owner and editor, Mike Rogie and the strikingly handsome Justin Bob, because, well, for all sorts of reasons some of which you'll hear in this conversation. And I've got to say, both Mike and J-Bob were on fire with their takes, so I think you all are going to love this one. But wait, folks, there's more. Next week on Blister Cinematic, we will be airing a conversation that I just had yesterday morning with the star of Apocalypse Snow, the snowboarding legend and pioneer Regis Roland. Regis is still so passionate about this film and he is fantastic talking about the making of it and providing all the color and context of just how seminal this film was since for millions of people watching Apocalypse Snow was the first time they ever saw a snowboard let alone someone actually riding a board. And finally, Regis also sets the record straight about when this film was released. Now, if you go look at IMDb or Wikipedia and basically anywhere online, you're going to see that Apocalypse Snow is listed as being released in 1983. And you'll hear in this conversation, Mike and J-Bob and me discuss that fact. But according to the star of the film... Apocalypse Snow actually came out a year later in the fall of 1984. So we're just trying to keep our facts straight here. And it is a good reminder that the internet sometimes gets its facts wrong. And so it was pretty great to be able to go to the source and have him set the record straight. So now, please enjoy this conversation with me, Mike, and J Bob. And then next week, we'll return to the apocalypse with the great. Régis Roland. Here we go. Well, I am incredibly happy to be here with the strikingly handsome Justin Bob and Mike Rogie to talk about maybe the craziest snow sports film ever made and arguably the greatest snow sports film ever made, Apocalypse Snow. It's fitting. It's good timing. Gentlemen, we are approaching the 40th anniversary of this film. Apocalypse Snow first came out on December 31st, 1983. And given that the three of us have just watched and rewatched this film again, I think I can speak for both of you in saying it is still mind-blowing 40 years later.
1: I want to push back on even calling it a ski film because this has like everything going on. And it. it's like an alpine cinematic masterpiece. It's unbelievable.
2: <laughs> Mike? Yeah, Justin, I, I'm i going to go a different route and say it's probably the most effective piece of visual marketing ever made in the history <laughs> of snow sports. Um, I finished watching it. And went on eBay and started looking for Razi monoboards, they're not out there, which tells me it was such a good product. No one, no one got rid of it. For Liz Arcs, I mean, it's like a crazy good marketing video. I mean, who knew that they had snow castles like imploding and exploding snow huts, um, kuars that you could ski into and then fly out of? Um, it looks like you're allowed to use firearms on the mountain. I mean, this is probably <laughs> probably the most ambitious piece of marketing I've ever seen in 20 years of covering snow sports.
0: Well, and so you you're bringing us into the significance of the film, right? And that's something we're always going to talk about when we revisit older films and the thing I want to add to that, Mike, is if this isn't the single greatest bit of marketing for just the entire sport of snowboarding ever, I don't, I don't know what is. So just add that to your legitimate list of all the other things. And I just want to, you know, would want to drop in there the greatest marketing piece ever created for an entire sport.
1: Yeah, that was probably a lot of people's first introduction to snowboarding was that movie.
2: That's right. During the break, we were talking about how Sims snowboarding started in 1983. I mean, Burton was in its infancy back then. Like It was like dudes riding on fat one-plank skis in Vermont Hills at that point. And meanwhile, this film, you could imagine the main character riding without bindings. And it's a power surf segment, and it looks like it could have been created last year. Um, Also, like some of the more aggressive big mountain snowboard lines I've ever seen, period. Really ill advised line choices, <laughs> absolutely no slough management. And thinking, hey, I just rode that line by myself and it sloughed, it almost sloughed me out. Now I'm going to do it with 12 monoskiers following me. <laughs> the fact that not ever, I mean, Spoiler, everyone does die at the end, for the most part. (laughs) Wait
0: a minute, Um, that's not true. Okay, But
2: but what's amazing is that, you know, in classic snowboard film logic, they're all resurrected 15 seconds later via a helicopter. So um, what I want to say is that this might be a sci-fi movie, a James Bond movie, and a marketing piece all put together. And um, if you're thinking to yourself in this intro, you know, Justin, Jonathan, Mike, what the hell are you talking about? Just go watch it on you. Press pause. Yeah. Go watch this film for 28 minutes. Do not be distracted by the sequels as Jonathan and I were. Yeah. Because we're not here to talk about the sequel and its trilogy. But um, yeah, this made me feel so good to be a snow sports participant. Yeah. That two years before I was born, this is how the French saw the world like that's
0: fantastic. I think I said this recently on a podcast. I'm I'm quite an optimist. I'm one of these people that thinks that those of us who are alive at this particular point in time, there's no previous time in history I want to return to. This film actually was the first thing to ever get me to like reconsider all of that because I just want to hang out with the minds and the people who made this film because they were clearly having a better time than I think anyone ever. And so it actually shifted my entire optimistic take about the present moment. They were doing it better 40 years ago. Fits in perfectly
1: with the kind of the theme we've been going on this podcast, which is those like, keep skiing fun. You know, what Wayne Wong said in NAR and we talked about in episode one, like we've got to keep it fun. And that looks like a pretty good era with a lot of fun. Kind of set a good standard, I think.
2: When we talk about keeping skiing and snowboarding fun, I think in like North American films, when we think of fun, it usually it revolves around like drinking, après, a party. And what I really, really like about the French, and I, I think this still holds true today, is they don't have fun at opre ski alone. They have fun on the mountain all day long. And they're just like, hey, let's bring up this World War II semi-automatic weapon and just fire it off. (laughs) Actually, I mean, those aren't blanks. Those aren't Hollywood blanks. Those are real rounds. You're like, oh my God, what is this? And then, you know, also the idea of like, you know, what could be cool is like, we've got this one buddy who, you know, hang glides and we're snowboarding, which is like, we've been snowboarding forever. What? Six months at that point. (laughs) And they're like, what if you snowboarded up to our buddy who's been hanging, like, no doubt for three years. So he's an expert and he'll hang on to you. And again, the whole time I'm like pausing and I'm like, where are the harnesses? Where are the ropes? No, what it is, is a good, firm grip around your butt and a a little flight around the mountains. And I just love it. They're just like, what else can we do? This is crazy. Like, what else can we do? And, you know, the sequel and the the third movie don't disappoint in that either. But I, I just found it. These guys know how to have fun on the snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That to me is where it's really important. Like it's not about the party. It's about like just doing silly, goofy stuff on the hill and not taking it so seriously. You know,
0: couple other things I want to say to just get like to track on like the significance of this. And some of this now goes very personal. Um, I believe this is the first I mean, I keep calling it a ski movie, and that's kind of shorthand. We're going to actually get into, again, what is this movie? This is the first ski movie that J-Bob and I ever saw together. But I believe we watched this at your sister Jamie's house. Her now husband, Nate, was there. This is my recollection. This was our first ski movie ever, J-Bob. I do remember, yeah, watching
1: that in their living room, and it was probably... Maybe within a few weeks of even meeting you for the first time. (laughs) That's probably right. I had found this movie on a ski trip up to Bridger Bowl when I was probably like 22. And we were having some beers in the Grizzly Ridge, the bar down there. And this was playing on the TV in there. And we were like, what is happening? This is the most insane thing ever. And we figured out what it was and then like addicted ever since
2: i'm grateful for the context of that because for a minute there i thought that was jonathan's like way he made friends he's like hey you want to watch this like new age early 80s like snowboard film with me on youtube And it's like i'm one of the few people maybe in the world that would be like yeah dude sick let's (laughs) go yeah but also like yeah no link just come watch it but very cool yeah that's good good that's a good day
0: now another important thing again kind of um some personal history slash important to blister stuff astute listeners of our blister podcast will know that our opening music of the blister podcast since day one is an homage to apocalypse snow i called that
2: out in my notes
0: i was like oh nice this is deep this is
2: meaningful yeah yeah i heard it and was like I thought I thought like I accidentally turned my Sono speaker on.
0: I was like, oh, no, <laughs> damn it. Like It was good. Yeah. So we have some personal history with this film for sure. I think I want to say we, we've touched on this already uh, and called it maybe the greatest piece of marketing ever for just the entire sport of snowboarding. But let's go back to the fact this is 1983. And what I love about this we're, now we're calling this a ski movie. That's just kind of shorthand. But a snowboarder is the hero of this film, and the skiers are the villains. That's amazing, because certainly in American snow sports, right, we go through this whole stupid period where skiers are, like, hating on snowboarders. And so I just like that we just take it back to 1983, and we have a film here where the skiers and monoskiers are the villains you know, going after our, our hero snowboarder. And, um, I don't know. I just, I love culturally that, that that's where we are with apocalypse snow.
2: Yeah. Do you guys want to know? So I, I looked this up because, um, here's some other things that were going on in 1983 mm-hmm. for context. So, um, Russian and us nuclear warheads were arriving in Europe. Does everyone remember the cold war that was in full force? Everyone was like afraid of this, like giant nuclear fallout between Russia and the United States probably influenced this film. Uh, Michael Jackson's thriller was the number one album for most of the year. I believe it was like 36 out of the 52 weeks of the year. The finale of mash aired to the largest television audience ever. 105.9 million people watched it. And personally for me, this is a big moment. Monty Python's the meaning of life was released in the United States. So again, like we're right at this time where like America is its own media, its own marketing. So I have to imagine that this film wasn't even being seen in the United States until probably the late eighties or nineties, barely. And obviously thanks to YouTube, we can all watch it now. But, um, yeah, Didier LaFond was Mm -hmm. our director Mm -hmm. and cinematographer. uh, Yeah, that's right. And, And of course everyone knows Didier from his other two sequels of this film. And then what I loved from IMDB is he directed the Austrian ski scene in Bridget Jones, the edge of reason. Bridget Jones, of course, is the Renee Zellwigger uh, <laughs> films that they were like, what are we going to do after Jerry Maguire? I know let's turn her British and see where she goes. And yeah, the IMDB description as you were saying like a snowboarders, the hero villainous, mono skiers try to capture the hero snowboarder to steal the secrets
0: of skiing. Now we need to pause on that description because that description isn't even accurate because first of all, it's not just mono skiers. There are some actual skiers and then the irony that we're going to make the correction, mono skiers and skiers are chasing a snowboarder to steal the secrets of skiing. We get sort of the irony. And now the other thing to say that, that like the director or, you know, creators of this film did not write that description. I think that's fair to say, right? Because we come up with a rough, more accurate translation of like, what's sort of going on in the opening of this film. Do you want to speak to this, Mike? Yeah,
2: I do. So um, I'll uh, preface this with, uh, I have two young kids getting daycare in a ski town is impossible. So my wife and I share our house with a French au pair who helps us like watch our kids. Now, she's not watching our kids today. She has the day off. So naturally, I put her to work by texting her this film and saying, I'm going on a podcast in 15 minutes. Can you tell me what they say? (laughs) So the opening line is the evil monoskier says, it can no longer be this guy with his board is faster than us. We must capture him at all costs. It is there on those slopes. We're going to hunt him to discover his secret.
0: A far better encapsulation of the film. And so I think it's less about, like discovering the secrets of skiing it's the secrets of going fast on snow and that's what the skiers are upset about and again think about that historically in the context of snowboarding it's like all these angry skiers and mono skiers are pissed off that the dude on the snowboard is nuking them on the mountain and and and, uh you know hilarity and well uh, massacres ensue Basically, sounds like my uh, first year snowboarding on patrol at Taos. I think what was good
2: is there's a scene where the snowboarder goes and hides in an igloo because, of course, who among (laughs) us has not done that on a day on the hill? And they speak French and they say, "Uh, careful, you are hunted. Your hunters are going to do everything they can to catch you. You must protect the secret of good riding at all costs. You're going to be helped and protected during your mission. Auto destruction activated. Now, for those of you that can't see everyone laughing, the reason why we're laughing is then the snowboarder, just in the nick of time, sneaks out of the igloo, and the igloo explodes with some good old-fashioned 1983 dynamite. And again, if you are a marketing director for a ski resort in North America and you will let Mountain Gazette or Blister blow up an igloo on hill, Hit up Jonathan, Justin, or I, because we would certainly like to create that moment. So yeah, get at us. We'd love to use dynamite on Hill. Oh, and, and by the way, not for avalanche control. No, for, just, no, 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 no. For, we for, want to use it to blow
0: up an igloo. Yeah, for marketing reasons. Now, I want to say one more thing about, because I obviously you go back and revisit this film, and in the past, every time I've watched it, I've just been so mesmerized, but now that I knew we'd have to be, you know, talking about this on a podcast. I found myself thinking about what were potentially some of the um, cinematic inspirations for this film. So, Mike, you've already talked a bit about what was going on in 1983, but two movies that I thought of, and then I did one of those, like... Dear Tiny Baby Jesus, please make it be the case that these films came out before 1983. Two of the things I thought of were, of course, um, you know, I was like, which James Bond movie was it that has probably the most iconic James Bond skiing scene? We have in 1977, The Spy Who Loves Me comes out. And then the other film that I started thinking about was Mad Max. And in fact, the original Mad Max comes out in 1980, Mad Max 2 comes out in 1982, and we're going to try to get confirmation on this, but this film had to have been filmed either in 1982 or sort of this the winter of, you know, the the, the start of 1983. So we're going to see if we can get maybe some more guidance on the actual influences on this film, but those are two pretty solid right? And if anybody's seen The Spy Who Loved Me or Mad Max, combine those two things together and you're starting to inhibit the orbit of Apocalypse Snow, I think.
1: Well, and it kept going also because not long after that, in 1985, A View to Kill came out and that had Tom Sims on a snowboard doubling
2: as 007 in that. See? You know, in my research on the film, the one thing I learned is that Pretty much every ski and snowboard media company, except for Blister and Mountain Gazette, has embedded this film during a really slow time of the winter (laughs) as a way for them to help their (laughs) SEO and have some social content. And literally no one's ever written anything other than like what we've just talked about. So I feel like finally all those fans can now hear the deep dive you've been waiting for because we have been watching this film
0: over and over again. And should we dig into some of these categories? Definitely. So where I want to start with is just getting out for consideration some of the most rewatchable scenes in this 26 minute film. And I mean, one answer is the entire 26 minutes. I mean, kind of (laughs) literally, Uh, that's that's probably the most uh, accurate answer. But I am curious to hear for you guys, let's let's get some of the scenes out that are in contention, and then maybe we'll try to move to see if we have consensus about the single most rewatchable scene. So, Justin, we'll start with you. Give us uh, what you have for one of your rewatchable scenes.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously, the whole thing, it's a short movie. You can rewatch the whole thing pretty quickly, but I keep really focusing on what I call the straight line segment. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking for the timestamp here. It looks like it's at 12 minutes, 15 seconds. And it's kind of when we start getting into the like hardcore straight lining. Everyone. (laughs) Reggie's rolling on the snowboard, just pinning it through these coolars. It's like by today's standards, you're like, wow, I hope your bindings are on tight. I hope you have stiff boots. He had none of those. Yeah. And then the mono skiers coming in right after him. It's like, I don't know how the knees and the whole mechanics of mono skiing really work but it seemed like there was no side cut and some pretty powerful knees like balancing like those little dolls that you can like hit like little punching bag dolls that will pop back up every time you pop them down that's like what was going on with the mono skis and pretty insane i mean i think that level of skiing would hold up today and if we're just looking from like a being pretty impressed framework Aside from all the cinematics and explosions and ridiculousness, that's probably one of the most rewatchable parts for me, Mike.
2: Okay. I've got a couple that I'm going to put out there. So one, um, for all of you out there, um, the first time I ever saw this was in New Zealand during the MTV show road rules where they have these giant orbs that they would blow up and they'd put people in them. Now, what they do today is they put water in them. So that as the orb is rolling, you know, you're being like basically staying like butt down, flat, right side up. No, that's not what they did. These evil monoskiers in their genius ways decided the best way to catch the snowboarder is to like recreate a scene out of Indiana Jones Yeah, where they put a real live human being in this orb and send him down a little like squirrel trail. And again, remember, this is Europe. It's not like there's like big trees he can bounce off. He's bouncing off of jagged rocks. This thing could pop at any moment. And because for safety, obviously, they used a metal frame around this thing. So it's like, oh, good. If it pops, he'll be in a deflated balloon in a metal frame, like just going uncontrollably down avalanche terrain. So I really love that part. The second was um, snowblades were not invented yet, but I'm pretty sure those are ballet skis or little kid skis where he decides that he's going to like switch so that he can like skate. And so he switches with his snowboard strapped to his back, which I was like, dude, so amazing. Yeah. You know? And then I mentioned it before the paragliding flyaway That was just like an incredible scene. Did not see that coming, but my favorite scene, uh, for my most rewatchable, because I rewatched it six times is, um, Any of you that have lived in a mountain town, you know that after like big, big snowfalls, they come through and they cut the roads. And so there's a road cut, you know, bank cutter there. And the dude does a road gap on a snowboard and a couple guys do it on a monoski. They never show the landing of the snowboarder, which makes me think he definitely ate shit. (laughs) As Justin pointed out, like raw equipment. But the best is that they cut away. This is such a classic ski film trick. Guy hits, airs on the monoski, airs over the cutter, and then they cut to a new shot, and he lands on the flattest landing at not even the appropriate angle. It looks like he was like in midair, took an elevator 10 feet down, and then landed going forward. And I was like, wow, this doesn't even look real. And so I watched it like five more times and just laughed every time. That, to me, was just like one of the most rewatchable moments of this whole thing because i think everything else is real I, I mean they didn't really like use any dummies or stunt like but that that road gap landing cut was just all all time also road gaps in 1983 were not like a thing nah. people were doing
0: yeah i think for me the 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 big ball chasing absolutely one of my most rewatchable scenes i I just think the actual opening scene, literally from second number one, uh, if someone's like, hey, you want to come, whether they say, you want to come watch this ski movie, or they say, you want to come watch this snowboard movie, or they say, you want to come watch this mono ski movie? If somebody turned this on and you didn't know what you were getting into, you would just be like, what? And then you'd be like, I am here for this. Like three seconds in. So I, th- I, if there are more effective openings for any film in the history of snow sports, I, I, I need to see it or I have forgotten because I've been so mesmerized by the very, very, very beginning of this film. Uh, there is, there is no sort of, you know, pussy footing around. And then we finally kind of get rolling two minutes in. Like you are in it right away. And uh, the third scene I want to bring up, because I don't know that I could ever tire of watching this. It's a very, very brief scene, but it starts at 11 minutes and 46 seconds in. It's the sort of, I described it as the motorcycle monoski with (laughs) the guy in the full face interceptor helmet with the siren on top of the helmet. This dude is about to chase our hero and you're like, this is game on, this is game on. And this might be where our hero dies, right? This is the end of him. Nope, turns out that immediately after taking off, dude explodes hitting a tree and that's the it, that's it. There's no more of that. It feels like the perfect
2: prop. You're like, hey, it doesn't work, so let's just blow it up. (laughs) It was great, it was great. I do think we failed our listeners in telling you that this whole film, 26 minutes, takes place over one run. This isn't like a multi-hour, multi-day. Thing. This is one run, top to bottom. So as it's as presented, which again, this guy flies like three times in it <laughs> in, in 26 minutes. It, it's just amazing. For me, it's just the orb chase. I think any of the other scenes could be made in their way. I don't think the orb is ever going to
0: get made again. <laughs> <laughs> That's my number one as well, Mike. I the, the orb the orb is my most rewatchable. J-Bob, you going to join just... us or are you sticking with the straight line? I'm sticking with the straight line, I think. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, there is one little scene at the
1: end that we'll probably touch on later if we talk about like our favorite characters or most heroic cast member which I'll talk about later, but there's a, it, it makes me question like who actually got injured during the filming of this. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's (laughs) And maybe we'll get more info, but I'm just like, this is
0: ridiculous. Yeah. Um, another award, um, best or worst crash or close call the AKA who needed blister plus injury coverage the most in this film. I already named one of my uh, one of my contenders for this, and that would be motorcycle monoski guy. Except I don't know if actual explosions uh, are covered under Blister Plus, like if you hit a tree and then blow up. So I'd have to check with the team on that one. I think Mike, I think you mentioned the other best candidate here.
2: Yeah. So I, of course building off our best scene I have the orb scene because the actor was tossed around like a tennis ball in a washing machine Mm -hmm. Uh, at the very least that guy lost his lunch everywhere Um, you know there was no concussion protocol in the 80s the only way you knew someone had a concussion in the 80s was if little birds flew around their head (laughs) and so we didn't see that so I just assumed that guy was fine and got back out there
0: but Wait, that's not true. He literally gets out of the
2: orb and falls over dead. <laughs> oh, that's right. He dies. That's right. Okay. Well, I mean, that's, that's kind of what I would want to happen rather than go through the dizziness of that. I'd be like, no, thanks. Just it's over.
0: Yeah. So that guy's dead. I, I think honestly, Reggie's Roland is the only one that deserves insurance on this. Everyone else dies. You're right. I mean, as we mentioned, there is the part where the vast majority of the monoskiers get machine guns down and so I was thinking that they would probably be the candidate for blister plus. But again, I'm not sure that if you are machine gunned down while skiing or snowboarding, that you're covered for that. But again, another note I need to I need to look into. It's not it's not specified that that's not covered, to be clear. So um, I, I it very well could be. Also, you know,
2: I'm going to just make a little plug for blister plus and why that scene might be perfect is because, you know, it's nice. To think like, oh, if I blow my knee, I'll use blister plus. But really what blister plus is great for is covering you when you think you're not going to need it. And those monoskiers for 20 minutes had just been chasing this guy. They're like, we're going to get him. We're going to get him. And then boom, they're all shot. I'm sure some of them lived, you know? And I mean, it would be nice to be like, hey, I thought I was going to blow my knee this year. Instead, I have a, a bullet wound in my shoulder. And so you call your knee doctor and you ask if he works on shoulders and- your Plus has got you covered.
0: <laughs> Let's move to, and we'll we'll do this kind of, I think, a bit more rapid fire. But what's aged the best from? So we've already highlighted some of our favorite scenes, but just in general, what do you think has aged the best from this film? I mean, snowboarding. Yeah, probably this. I
1: mean, that was the kind of the start of snowboarding, and here we are, and a lot of like modern snowboard shapes are actually going back that kind of direction with like three D contouring on the noses and like ship prow kind of shapes and designed to literally surf through the snow as opposed to just relying on your camber and side cut and though yeah it's pretty funny after 40 years and this kind of first started coming out we're going back that direction swallowtails boards definitely part of a quiver you don't want to have this as an everyday sort of shape but something you can use for the really fun power days but yeah, I mean, as Mike said,
0: it's like that was the greatest marketing tool ever for snowboarding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are. But J Bob, I, I wrote that down too, just the literally the shape of his board. I'm like, that looks like all the kind of cool kids stuff being made today. Again, not as not as your everyday driver. Yeah, I mean, they're using edges today. I mean, I have
2: a I have a Jones Pow Surfer that is not it the swallowtail's not as deep on mine, but um <laughs> But I think for me, um, powder mono skiing exactly. yes. has aged the best. Yes. Um, I was yes. just thinking like, can you imagine living in a world where it snows so much? It snows <laughs> so much back then. You're just like, nah, no skis today. No snowboard, mono ski. <laughs> that looks so fun. Yeah. They are constantly wheeling. I actually yeah. realized that like, the way like a Parker White like wheelies out of like in, when you see in ski films or like a Sammy Carlson, whatever, where he like is skiing down and does those like hop turns it turns sideways and and just like slams it like that's all mono skiing. It's just mono skiing moves. I'm like, man, that technique is good. And then my top top what's aged the best is French ski culture. I, I think I think the French do ski culture better than any culture in the world. Uh it's still fun. It's still goofy. It's all very stylish. So shout out to France. Shout out to France. (laughs) Like what a what a what an amazing time you've all had with this (laughs) downhill goofy sport. You guys know how to do it better than anyone else. The home of Candy Tovex, Jean-Claude Keeley, and Apocalypse Snow.
0: Yeah. Um, I wrote down for what's age the best. I just wrote down monoski pow skiing and double pole planting like oh, pow yes. skiing yeah. on a monoski while <laughs> just double pole planting so i wrote that i wrote um lots of big monoski straight airs just like this is this is this can't be topped unless we start talking about apocalypse snow 2 or 3 just in terms of huge monoski straight airs that's amazing um i wrote down the fact that we have skis, snowboards, monoskis, and sort of snowblades, let alone my favorite, the motorcycle monoski, uh, and then the <laughs> orb all going on in this film. That's amazing. Let's let's mix it back up. We've had I think for too long, we've sent skiers to the left, snowboarders to the right. I'm here for this, you know, mixing it up world. Like let's get get let's get back to nineteen eighty three, I guess. Um uh, the, another thing I wrote, um, the slow-mo sequences of numerous monoskiers back-slapping set to soft core porn music. Like, what <laughs> in the world? <laughs> but um, I really enjoyed the the monoski back-slapping with uh, those sultry tunes. Um, it's
2: true. I mean, if you are a ski film or snowboard filmmaker out there listening to this podcast, and you're like, Shit! How do I add thirty seconds to my runtime? Just shoot someone in slow motion. The higher the frames per second, the longer your movie can be. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I think this movie started that phenomenon. I don't know mm-hmm. that I had seen before the eighties slow motion skiing and snowboarding shots. So huh. that was actually really cool to see. I'm with you. I agree. That's aged really well.
0: We've already said it a couple times, but the but the the, the last thing I said here, um, just this film shows you why you'd want to be on a snowboard. Like I, it is it's amazing and it's beautiful and it's kind of gnarly. And anyway, shout out to the film for that. The next I kind of created a new normally we do what's aged the best and then what's aged the worst. I was like, I don't. I, I there's only a couple things I can come with for the what's aged the worst. So I I did the what's stage the best and worst, signed sort of both, and I suspect some of you might have some thoughts on on a on a new category, kind of a one-on-one category for this film. Mike, what do you got? Uh mass shootings. <laughs> Those haven't aged very well. <laughs>
2: I bet that was really funny in 1983. It's not that funny right now. Okay.
0: Um, Maybe that's not best and worst. Maybe that's just worst. Am, that's okay. the worst, okay. but for
2: best and worst. So I do have this quick story. So I think taking your snowboard off to put on snowblades so you can ride a pommel lift. I yeah. think that that's, I would love to see someone do that, but I do want to share the story that's never been told publicly before is during the Payne McSchlonkey, which is our annual snowblade race we do here at Palisades Tahoe on KT22 to honor Shane McConkey for the foundation, a local bartender actually like dressed up Apocalypse Snow style with his snowblades and had his power Surfer strapped to his back. And everyone thought that was so funny. And everyone dresses goofy, so no one had any qualms about letting this particular uh, Palisades Tahoe bartender on. I'm not going to name his name because I don't want him to get fired from his job. So anyways, he got to the top of the lift and rather than participate in the race, he switched his ski boots out for his pow surf boots, left his backpack up and my man pow surfed down shoot 75 off of KT 22, probably the first and last person that will ever do that. And, uh, I want to say like that. So while that has aged the worst, it also influenced maybe one of the most legendary lines of the Payne McSchlonkey. So yeah. I thought that had to be shared here. So <laughs> that's best thank you, and Apocalypse Snow, yeah. for a terrible idea that was put to a really good practice like a couple years ago. <laughs> well,
0: that's a great story. J-Bob, do you have anything in this best and worst, or do you want to save yours for the worst?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was going to just go into like their total disregard, and maybe it wasn't total disregard. It might have just been uh, a little bit of some ignorance and sign of the times, but like avalanche hazard and considerations. They're just like, let's party down this huge slope. And I think there is one avalanche that they show in the movie, which is incredible. But It's like one snowboarder and like 10 mono skiers just yeah. cutting out this like pretty good sized slab. You're like, wow, no one's got a backpack on. No one's got anything like remember filming out of a helicopter. Like maybe they have eyes on bright colors. Like that might help a little bit, but like, wow. This is that that'd be pretty frowned upon uh today. Yeah. It
0: does make <laughs> you, it does actually
1: make me wonder. Like that, maybe you know? like
0: 140 mono skiers were killed in the filming of this movie. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's possible. It would, it would actually check out.
2: I also was,
0: did you guys notice
2: the like, we talked about a little the slough management where like, you know, You're skiing down this line and you're constantly either moving to the left or the right in order to avoid your own slough. They were actually outrunning their slough and then turning (laughs) into it and slowing down. And I'm like, no, no, get out of there. Get out of there. Get (laughs) out of there. And then they would just like cut to a different scene. I'm like, that guy died
0: totally. That guy's totally dead. He's dead. Just bodies buried everywhere around Les Arc. I had in the. Aged best and worst. Mike already noted this. Chasing a snowboarder by stuffing yourself into a massive inflatable orb and then rolling that orb down the mountain after the snowboarder. Not effective. Likely ends up with you being dead as happens in this film. So, um, while it's my favorite scene of the movie, it's not a very, it's not a, it's not highly recommended, uh, from a safety point of view. I'd, I'd also had this in What's Age the Best and Worst, except thinking about it again, I'm moving this just squarely into the What's Age the Best category. There is a moment in the film. Our hero once again escapes the villainous skiers. And then rather than the skiers be angry and like get together and debrief that like they just blew it and they let the guy get away, there's this abrupt tone shift. And from minute 9.22 to 10.28 in the film, they all just go like, oh, well, and go from this like high-speed monoski chase back to softcore porn music and like slow-mo soul monoski pow surfing. And I think there's a life lesson here. And that lesson is when you fail at your job and you're furious, sometimes you just need to be like, you know... Let's go soul skiing. I like that. Um, again, I'm just going to say, I think that's just how
2: the French have always lived. Huh? I like to think that as Napoleon was trying to conquer Europe when he failed, he'd just go up to, you know, Chamonix and take a few soul turns in the middle of these like crazy battles. Um, I do want to go back to <laughs> one thing we talked about, um, like, what has like aged the best and worst. I think skiing versus snowboarding has aged the best and the worst. Hmm. Um, The worst in that it has always been the mainstream media's easiest way to cover the dichotomy of the sport. Sean White gets asked every single Olympics, whether he's competing, whatever. So how do you feel about skiing? You know? And like, I think that whole thing is lame, but I also want to say where it's aged. The best is slush magazine editor, former editor of snowboarder, Pat Bridges used to have, this giant poster in his office when I worked with him when I was at Powder of Richard Nixon doing a back scratcher on skis because he was like, this is what I think about corporate ski culture. So I have to say like skiing versus snowboarding mainstream, lame. Skiing versus snowboarding behind the scenes, still very fun. Still very fun to rib each other. So I have to say that's one of the things that's best and
0: worst for me as well. I For me in the what's age the worst, I've already called this out a couple times, but like those abrupt music transitions just made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. And it's quite jarring. I have to confess that there would be moments, maybe there's another life lesson here, right? And Rogi, you keep saying like, learn from the French, would you? But I kind of wanted it to keep it high octane. And I just, it, it happens, like if there was just like one transition... You know, like where we go from like high speed to the soft core. Okay, but it it happens a lot and it's really, it's really jarring, right? So I think that's really all I had. Otherwise, this is a perfect film as far as I can see. So this is, we call, we're calling this the Gimme More Award. What would you want to see more of in this film? Or what would you want to see the film explore further or show more of? Did you guys have anything? I do.
2: I mean, it's really easy for me. Backflips on mono skis. I didn't even know that was a possibility. Um, So if you are out there and you are listening and you have done a backflip on a mono ski in the last three seasons, please, please, please send it to blister, send it to us at mountain gazette. And I don't even know what I'm going to give you. I might just Venmo you some money for being a champion, but like that is the greatest thing I could have watched. Fifty slow mo backflips on yeah. monoskis. What commitment? Yeah, just amazing. Laid out and not laid out. The not laid out ones were almost scarier. But um, yeah, I think That's I'd good. like to see more backflips on monoskis
0: personally. That's great. That's really good. J. Bob, do you have mm-hmm. anything? I put more zip
1: lines and explosions. <laughs> um, they're already a good amount yeah. of explosions, but you can always have more of have those. More. And That's good. I like the zipline move at the beginning where they're all exiting the castle, ziplining down to get onto the snow. Um, zip lines turns out, are a lot of fun and they could easily use more of that. So,
0: I, I definitely could have, like, if there was a now, you know, today, like a 10 episode Netflix series that was just about, like, the training that happens in that castle or, like, the day to day life of these red suits. I, I actually, I wouldn't even need to be like a 10 episode. I, I could do like an eight, epi- like an eight year 15 episode each year. So yeah, give me like 96 episode of like just the day to day life of the red suits in this, in this film. I'd be super good with that. The other one I, I had at minute 827 in the film. We get introduced to this beautiful woman for like one second. I I need to know more about her. Like I need 10 minutes on like, who is she? What is her connection to our hero? Are they dating? Is she a secret agent? Or is she like just a lifty at the, at like on the Poma lift that like turns magically from Poma lift into like a a rope to the helicopter. But like, I, I want to know a lot more about her.
2: I um I liked her character in part because we went back to OPER Cassandra to ask what did she say? And again, she says auto destruction activated.
0: Yeah, or this which like, might be the This message will might, like translation you know, like this message yeah. will self-destruct.
2: Yeah. So But perfect. Like also, why did the igloo have to get blown up? As far as the plot goes, like <laughs> Were they really worried about them finding that message? Like, and and for the record, Justin and Jonathan, I need to know um, the monos. That's a cult, right? Like, we're just gonna say straight up, that's a monoski cult. Why are those not back?
0: Yeah, (laughs) I mean, that's a great question. Actually, are they? Maybe I. I think maybe they are here, and they're just real underground. Yeah, that backflip
2: person that reaches out to us on the monoski, let us know. Yeah, who are tell your us friends? Your ways. What kind of, what are your cultish behaviors? Yeah, we questions. Mike, that'd when, be a uh, good name for a band: <laughs> Monoski Cult. Monoski Cult.
0: When uh, this will yeah. be the first investigative documentary that Blister and Mountain Gazette team up on, like in search yeah. of monoski culture and monoski cults.
2: Yeah. So if you're ever wondering like, Hey, what do Jonathan and Mike do with our subscription money? (laughs) Now, you know, we're going to send a New York times caliber investigative journalist back to Europe to find the underground monoski cultures, uh, and cults. And we'll report back to you in a real definitive way. And honestly, yeah, the world will be a better place. Exactly.
0: Um, Um, (laughs) moving on. Um, So we, that's the gimme more award, um, the gimme less award, any scene you'd cut any aspect of this film you could skip. I think I'm going to forbid any answers here. The answer is no. Yeah. I know Mike, you're, you're sensitive about the, you know, mass shooting in the film, but I, it's, it's not, I don't want it gone.
2: Got it fair um i would say the thing i would want less of so when i think about give me less award or trying to Art award i I compare it to a modern ski film i would like to see less outrunning of avalanche shots um i think there's probably a generation of skiers that thought outrunning an avalanche was badass um i
0: mean okay if you have to
2: if you have to but better outrun it uh, sorry look i'm not here to like you know crap on this film at all i love the film but i'm just saying like give me less award uh i i would cut some of that i feel like they show a lot of it so anyways
0: don't try to do that don't don't try to yeah that's just a public service announcement for for today but i don't want it i don't want it out of the film if you tried to go in and like cut it out of the film off the historical record i would like come find you and stop you
2: Oh, I'm not asking to okay. do that. Is that what we're is that what this award is? Just yeah. give me less. I could skip like, I could skip out running avalanches. I don't know.
0: No. Okay, I you made your point. It. We heard you. Yeah. Let's cool. move on to um let's move on. The attention span award. Is this film too short, too long, or just right? Just right for me. J Bob? Yeah, I think it's just right. Ugh. I mean, it kind of is, and yet, given what I've said about the Give Me More award, I'm not turning it off if they did give me more of the stuff that I asked for, but I mean, it is it is hard to like, it's like looking at, you know, Michelangelo's David and being like, well, he probably could have like chiseled off a little bit off the, you know, left hamstring. It's like, no, nah, let's, oh. let's not mess with.
2: <laughs> I wasn't sure which body part you were going <laughs> to pick on that particular piece of art, buddy. Um, I will say this, um, it's, this is why I'm going to defend just right. It's just right because people wanted more and they made Uh. two sequels. So I want to say this one thing that I would love to see come back is, Hey, you're a pro skier snowboarder out there. You're thinking about making an edit. Here's a little longevity tip for your career. Make three, make three episodic films. Let Mm. them come out like six to nine months apart. Mm. Dude, you're good. Now you got a two-year contract instead of that one-year performance contract. You're welcome.
0: There you go. Pro tip. Recasting Couch. Um, who back then could have been the alternate star or stars in this film? Uh, I'm not touching, I'm not doing anything on this front.
1: Yeah, it seemed to have like worked out pretty perfectly with Mr. Roland, but I mean, Tom Sims, Tom Burton, of course, Craig Kelly all would have been capable of snowboarding like that.
0: I don't know if they speak French or not. So that. Could have, you know, not I mean, not a lot of speaking in this film. So but. really, really <laughs> wouldn't have been uh, that probably wouldn't have been too much of a detriment. Also, Good answer. So
2: yeah, I like those answers. I, 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 I do think um, I tend to agree with you, Jonathan. The tone of North American snowboarding at this time was about growing the sport, getting more people, getting acceptance. And I feel like had this film come out in North America, like more ski resorts would have banned snowboarding. (laughs) And so, again, I'm going to just give it back to the French of just like they saw it for what it was. It was very, very fun. And what it could be and frankly, what it is today, which is mostly like I think about. Like power riding like they just nailed that part. So, I mean, sort of a perfect casting. Um, I wanted to I would love to know, like, just. When you talk to mister Roland, like ask him, like, who else was up for this? Could anyone even do this in the world? He like, might have been the only person in the world that could ride that way.
0: I really hope he, he just he goes, agreed. no, absolutely not. That, and I'm like, exactly, moving on. Um, no, that's good. Um, I, I read one article about him getting into
1: snowboarding, and it, allegedly he was a ski instructor, and some guys with winter stick boards showed up. And kind of shook up the scene and then his buddy was like, you could probably do that. You could probably do that. And I guess it took him a little while. And then all of a sudden he just figured it out. So he like wasn't even planning on being a snowboarder, let alone in a film. He was just like, oh, another fun thing to try. Sure.
0: And ended another up good. the star of the film.
2: Yeah. <laughs> another good life lesson. Oh, a fun thing to try. That's how we so should yes. approach everything in life.
0: So yeah. Yes. Yep. All right. I'm curious if you two have thoughts on this. If. This film was remade today. Who would you want to see be the star? Who would take Regis's role? Mike? Hands down. No questions asked.
2: I actually think he's the only athlete that could do this. I think it's Parker White. I think he could handle it. I think it's because he can ski. Obviously, he's a pro skier. His pow surfing skills are just unreal. He's hitting pillow lines and everything. And I also think he takes himself... uh very unseriously all the time so i think he'd be sort of the perfect candidate to come back um i doubt he speaks french uh but but that's okay um an american remake always happens you know was it force majeure was remade with the will ferrell julie louis Dreyfus movie like this is what americans do we remake great french classics and we kind of ruin them a little bit i think parker could ruin this movie perfectly
0: wow j bob
1: thoughts on this Thinking of keeping the French in France and maybe Xavier De La Rue Ooh. on a snowboard and uh, being chased by Candide. I assume he could probably monoski.
0: Oh, my God. Because <laughs> um, he can
1: almost do everything.
0: So Wait, and you'd, take, would, you'd go with Xavier over Victor? Uh, yeah, maybe a little more time in the saddle. Yeah. I think J-Bob just won. Xavier being chased by Candide as the lead villainous skier. I
2: I think Xavier is a really great guy. He's an amazing snowboarder. But to be honest, Candide has so many super fans. It'd be the first time you'd watch this good versus evil thing, and you'd be like, "I just want the bad guy to kill the good guy." I mean, Candide's a god, and France Zav is a god as well. But I mean, their fans are very different. Okay.
1: Jonathan, I almost put you down as a snowboarder, but we don't really know your snowboard skills. We yet, don't know. But yet. hopefully soon we'll be able to figure this out. And, yeah, it's a great um, point.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm sure I could put on those like jelly looking binding straps that that (laughs) regis clicked into and then just straight lined the shit out of these massive lines that's probably going to be me what probably by day two you think j Bob? (laughs) dear lord hottest take award did you guys have anything in the hottest take award
2: yeah so i always watch the credits of every ski and snowboard film i want to know how these things get financed how these things get made We don't see a lot of chances like this in ski and snowboard films anywhere. And I think that's led to the last couple of years of having a lot of stale films. Actually, this year being excluded, I think it's coming back. But um, I think my hottest take from this was it pays off to make weird shit, especially in counterculture sports like skiing and snowboarding. Um, Also, Air France sponsored this film. Uh, airlines you need to get your shit yes. together start yes. throwing your government bailout money back into ski and <laughs> snowboard marketing projects just give blank checks and <laughs> let the finest athletes cook and kook out like let's go we have bailed out delta airlines like nine times yep. in 14 years guys work <laughs> on US. renew re work on renewable fuels Let's do something cool with that. Try electric planes if that's your thing, but start chucking that money into ski and snowboard films. Air France, give Cody Townsend $100,000. Let's see what he can make. I bet it would be insane. So that's my hottest take is Air France and all the airlines need to stop taking our tax dollars and start putting them into ski and snowboard
0: films. I I can't (laughs) top that. Moving on. That was amazing. Burning questions slash I need answers award. What are your most pressing questions from this film? I've got one. Uh, I just wrote down drugs. How many drugs, <laughs> how much drugs were being used during the like conception of the idea of this film during the shooting of this film? <laughs> drugs. Those are, that's my biggest I, uh, question. I, I had a similar question,
1: which is long lines of how much wine was consumed oh. with it being France and all. Um. Of course, injuries are a question that comes up, like injuries. how many that's good. people actually sustain an injury during the filming of this. Yeah. I gather there was at least
2: one. Um yeah. So I have a pretty serious question about the ending. Me too. So that's the other thing I wrote um, Mike Go. So <laughs> uh the end it ends with the Cirque du Soleil helicopter extraction of our hero. Um, they basically form an upside-down a cheerleader triangle yeah. while hanging from a helicopter. Um, was that the most efficient way to take him out? No, I don't. I don't know. Also, also, this one real key. Were all those guys dead 45 seconds earlier <laughs> from the mass shooting? How did they come back? I don't understand. Um, that said, if you watch the sequel, uh, you don't get answers to that, but they're still in the helicopter formation. They're just much higher off yeah. the ground. Yeah.
0: I think the answer is a little bit another film we didn't talk about as maybe a bit of an influence, just the original Star Wars. What do you have? What do you have happen in Star Wars? We we see like 10,000 stormtroopers mowed down. Right. So I don't think there's like resurrection happening unless that's a really good monoski cult. I just think there's like like the red suit monoskiers are kind of the equivalent of the storm from star Wars. There's just, just apparently an infinite, infinite supply. They're, but, but, but Mike, I want to, with the ending, what exactly is happening in the scene before our hero is scooped away by the oh, upside yeah. down cheerleading <laughs> triangle from by a heli. Is this a, is this a, a is he getting married? Is is he being um, given an award? What's happening there?
2: There's a little girl holding sunflowers, which we all know bloom in the middle of winter. <laughs> I like saw that and I was like, where the hell did she get those flowers in the Alps? So that's not realistic. As if like, that's the one, the one thing that weird bothered part. me. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, there's like people doing like, uh, the like fist. I don't even know what you call this. Like he's a jolly good fellow. Like, I'm a 1940s candidate for mayor and I won like it's very strange. And then what I love is like all of a sudden out of nowhere, cue the helicopter music. And you're like, Oh, hell yeah. Like I got to say that was the best sound design in the entire,
0: (laughs) entire. (laughs) Okay. But so we don't, I mean, because it's, it's a little too impromptu, like yay, our snowboarding hero, except no one knows what snowboarding is in the world. Has like w- rolled up on this celebratory event where they're like, "It like, yay, we're celebrating you because you've protected the secrets of going fast on snow with a little girl there presenting sunflowers to him. So it, I was like, it felt like kind of a wedding scene. But I didn't, I didn't know what was happening. And then because if it is a celebratory scene of like, thank you so much for protecting the secrets of going fast on snow that lasts for four seconds because homie is like immediately like taken captive by the villainous mono skiers and skiers. So I'm, I'm st- look. Okay. I have, we've really not talked much about this. Apparently I'm getting on a podcast with. Regis Roland at 1 a.m. in the morning in a couple days. Like, I'm definitely gonna ask about the ending of this. By the way, how badass is that that like I'm talking to the star of our film? So I'm gonna try to get answers to some of our questions here, namely the drugs and the injuries. But I need to know, like, what is that event at the end? Um,
2: could this entire film just be an allegory for how Burton snowboards was started?
0: <laughs> oh my god! How was that not your hottest take? <laughs> <laughs> that's up. that's that's got to yeah, another we have another hottest take contender. Um, d- do you need to say more on that or was that the end of your question? I mean, I think it's just like you know, it
2: feels like this could have been the blueprint for how Jake just marketed Burton snowboards forever. All these assholes just trying to F with his vibe, and then at the end, when he's finally, you know, like. Celebrating snowboardings, there. ski resorts start banning snowboarding and they extract him from his vibe. And then there's two more sequels. And yeah, I don't know. That's a stretch. I I, doubted, that, but. That,
0: that, that you didn't have that in the hottest take section is is amazing. But that that is that's an amazing question. I, I already shared mine. Do either of you best life lesson award? You know, mine was sometimes in life when you fail and are deeply dejected, just go soul skiing. Yeah, I think that soul skiing thing is
1: real, and it's like being present when you're out there, and maybe that's why the music transitions so fast. Is it's like you're in the heat of the moment on this chase, and when the skiing's really good, you kind of forget about what your task is. You're like, I'm just here skiing, so cue up the Blister Podcast music, and let's just enjoy this for a bit. Is like maybe we'll get back to the chase, but I'm I'm good for now.
2: Jonathan keeps calling it softcore porn music it's softcore porn music softcore porn music no dude it's the intro to your <laughs> podcast <laughs> so i guess one could deduce that softcore porn music is the intro to the blister
0: pod sure
2: <laughs> i'm jonathan ellsworth and this is a softcore porn conversation about skiing and snowboarding
0: <laughs> how well would it hold up if it came out today exactly as is the world has never seen this it drops, let's say, on its 40th anniversary coming up here, December 31st. What are your thoughts? How, how would it be received? How well would it work?
2: It would be a Pit Viper ad. <laughs> 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 okay. Would it not? Doesn't this seem like the thing that like Chuck and Spencer would just be like, hmm. yeah, let's throw an obscene amount of marketing dollars into remaking this thing, not tell anyone and just put it out. And the only thing you would change is like they'd be wearing pit Piper sunglasses. Like I, 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 it just feels on brand for them. They
1: did try to do a more modern, not exactly a remake, but like a, another edition, which I guess could be part four, but it's called Retour, and it did not get a lot of exposure here in the States. At least, um, I do have a DVD copy of it cause I was so excited. I bought it. In the mail. Send it
2: over. It showed up. Send so it over. we'll have to get that one in
1: the loop I'm texting as well. you
2: my address right now. Let's Unfortunately, go. Unfortunately, <laughs> I
1: remember watching it and being not disappointed, but definitely not as excited as when I first saw the oh, first episode. Is okay. it weird
2: that I want to see it more now? Yeah. <laughs> you want to see it
1: more. So uh, that'd be like the closest representation of a modern take on gotcha. it. And it has a lot of the same things like helicopters and explosions. Huh. Okay. But it's missing the lack, you know, the the their side cut, so uh, people are turning differently. Uh, I don't think there's mm, double pole plants.
0: Mm.
1: And backing up a little bit, one of the things that I definitely could have seen less of in the movie and it showed it maybe for only 3 seconds, but it made me pretty nostalgic and by that pretty sad was they do a helicopter flyover of this beautiful mogul field. Mm. And I love moguls and they're perfect and symmetric and spaced out and we don't get those anymore because those monoskiers had straight skis no side cut and now we have side cut
2: and moguls are ruined ah i good. love that what age the worst for you is side cut that's the best you <laughs> <laughs> like it'd be better if we went back to no side cut. let's go straight hickory
0: you, you have better not back then, Mike, you clearly haven't ridden yet with J Bob, but he will be at the blister summit. So, um, it's, Perfect. it's, it's one of the best things a person can do on snow. I, I love my moguls and me too. Yeah. Let's let's go. Oh, okay, that's good. We already, we're setting up a mogul date here. I like this. All right. But that was a tangent. So let's <laughs> No, go I love that. That's that. great. J Bob. That's a great addition. Um, we talked about What would happen if this, I mean, my answer to like if this exact film dropped today, I just wrote nobody would know what to do. (laughs) Like (laughs) I I I like I like Rogie's answer better. It's just a you know, it's a it's a pit viper play. Um, which then leads to our next question. Could this movie get made today? Answer yes by pit viper. And then next question: should there be a modern remake of this movie? I mean it's the original so good I I I worry that a remake even in the spirit of I don't know how it could possibly hold up to the original.
2: I want more remakes in skiing and snowboarding and like retellings and reimaginations like I think this should be remade. I think Last of the Ski Bums. I can't believe I feel like Nick Wagner like tried to remake like a spiritual last of the ski bums but yeah i definitely think um more chase scenes I mean, that's really what it is right it's like a 26 minute chase scene yeah. and i think those are starting to come back with like the like candide like one of those days yeah. like single little, run yeah type of things i think those are good and i mean i think like i think we can learn a lot from what the french were doing in the 80s for sure um i think from the style from the like this movie is just fun. I will say, like, I bet when they made this, there was no one screaming. There was no one mad. I feel like a lot of cigarettes were smoked and a lot of laughs were had. And like, why can't we do that? Like at the <laughs> Blister Summit, like Jonathan, can we smoke some more cigs <laughs> no. and and like have a few laughs and be like, people are like, what are you guys doing? I'm, like, well, Jonathan's about to chase me down Mount Crested Butte for 30, 38,
0: 38 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That, that might That'd be great. Okay. That's pretty good. All right. I'm back in. I, I, I wrote on this um, should there be a, a modern remake? I said no copies, but damn, this should inspire everybody to be thinking way outside the box. Right. J Bob, did you have any, any more thoughts on that? No. I, I, yeah. I, I think it's good as is,
1: shouldn't be remade. Part for part, absolutely not, but definitely serve as inspiration. And yeah, I like the Pit Viper angle. I think that'd be a, they could probably utilize some of
0: these techniques and some marketing campaigns. Next question, what piece of memorabilia would you most want from this film? I just want anything with the logo on it, of the little red
1: team, whatever we're calling them, red guys logos. Like, that's it.
0: Anything. A temporary tattoo would be great. (laughs) I literally was thinking about, should we put that logo on our blister cinematic logo? And that's just, I mean, we kind of using the theme music. I don't know if it would make any sense whatsoever, but I was like, that logo is sick. I'm with you on that. Interceptor helmet. Now you're naming, I mean, yeah, now cool. you just named my number one. I want that Interceptor full face helmet with the siren on top. I would ski every day of my life in that thing. <laughs> that thing is so amazing. Um, Mike, what would you the take? Board.
2: The board. You want the board? The board. I want to take the bindings off of it. I want to just put like a small like stomp pad on it and turn it into a POW surfer and just be like this. Like I want the exact material shape, the weight, I bet it's heavy as shit. Um yeah, I want I want that board. I like classic ski and snowboard gear. Not because I think today's gear is any better or worse. I mean it's obviously better from a technological standpoint and an enjoyment of riding, but man, that thing would be fun to throw on a snowmobile after it snows a foot and just go take one run, how surf down. And you're just like, damn. I don't know. I think I'd understand this film better if I knew knew what it was like to
0: ride in pow, like down something cool with it. So, yeah, I'd like that board. Those are good. Yeah, I had Interceptor full face helmets, my number one with the siren on top and then the the red suit. Uh, I want that onesie with the sick logo on it. I would also ski in that every single day. Uh, so please let us know if anybody has a line on these things. Um, I would happily purchase these items from you. Uh, let us know. I'm real interested in this next question. Who do you think won the movie?
2: Uh, I have mono skiers five through 12. Because it feels like four guys kind of just like totally got their asses kicked. But then there's like the other dudes that are in the back. And I'm just like, these guys can avoid all the people like they're the ones triggering the slide. So like, they're probably the least likely to go down. And I'm just like, man, those guys had the most fun. They were just told by their buddies, Hey, we need a few more monoskiers for this ad we're shooting for Les Arcs and Rosigno. And they were just like, we let's do this. Like, let's go. And so I don't know. I think those guys absolutely won in the filming. It's always fun to be on a film shoot when you're not shooting or being filmed. But you're just kind of there and like, you're like, oh, cool. It's early morning. I can ski over here. and No one's going to notice. That's the best. That's like the journalist angle. I always call it. So, yeah, five through five through 12. They crushed. Amazing. Five yeah. through 12. Uh,
1: those are the same ones that were hanging off the helicopter at the end. Weren't they uh, upside Maybe. down? <laughs>
2: Maybe. Yeah. I mean, also, what a good story at the bar.
1: I put the helicopter pilot is winning. Because he had 5 through 12 dangling off his helicopter, and that was probably the most high-risk move of the whole movie is flying that helicopter, lowering it down with everyone hanging to grab the hero snowboarder. And it it seems pretty quick, but it looks like he gets a little low there for a second. I'm like, how did that guy on the bottom hang on? It, it looks like there was a little altitude drop in a matter of a second. I'm like, wow, this is some some small tolerance kind of flying going on right here. This is high risk. So the helicopter pilot gets my vote for actually winning in the movie and they get the hero out of there and they
0: can't do that without the helicopter pilot. That's an amazing answer. That's an amazing answer. I had snowboarding. I mean, snowboarding wins the movie, except the mono skiing looks so cool too. But um, the mono skiing with the double pole planting. So maybe mono-skiing and snowboarding both win this movie. Um, Mike keeps talking about French ski culture or ski slash mono slash snowblade slash snowboard culture. That wins. And then our guy, Regis. I mean. Oh, yeah. The- uh, our hero. Uh, is our hero. Amazing. You know, our, our pal Cody Townsend, like hates ranking things, but we've
2: talked about it before of like, very rarely is there an undisputed greatest snowboarder in the world at that moment, greatest skier in the world at that moment. Like, it'd be hard for us to like truly define who that was. Uh, I mean, dude, he was without a doubt the greatest snowboarder in the world when this was filmed and probably when this was put out. And like you said, Justin, he was like a ski instructor that like basically self-taught himself how to do it um that's pretty awesome i would love for that to happen again it feels pretty unlikely but what a cool moment for just like the sports world of like a self-taught amateur becoming the greatest in the world like i don't know i've never seen anything from 1982 that holds up to this maybe i'm totally wrong but he was certainly in the conversation
1: yeah and the good life lesson of like jump on the opportunities
2: Say yes.
0: Say yes. Mm -hmm. Say Say we. Say we. All right. Last question. What are our final grades? Of course, we don't really do grades at Blister. And so our grading is kind of weird. And I like it like that. But so from like worst to best, the grades go overrated film, properly rated, underrated, modern classic, pantheon film or an all-timer or the single best film in its class mike what
2: say you so i think it's underrated i think that everything i can see whenever this film gets shown on the internet it's always like poking fun of it um the snowboarding as you both pointed out so well is very good in this film and if you just watched it for just the snowboarding, it's great. Um, and when I wrote underrated, I said, if you're listening to this, we all have like our old skier riding buddy that we haven't talked to in a while. I want you to take this link and just text it to them and email it and be like, hey, have a great season. You will literally be back to like square one riding a chairlift. So I'm going to text these to three of my friends today. And I think it's, it's that good. It's that underrated that some may have seen it. will be happy to see it again as I was but most have probably never seen it. So yeah, it's an underrated film that you should text to your friend immediately.
0: Hmm.
1: J Bob. Yeah, I think it's absolutely underrated. I was looking at some stats and on YouTube as of this morning, it had 248,000 views. Uh, hadn't been posted in 2013, which seems pretty low, um, just from the stats. And I, I pulled one comment out of the comments, um, didn't get the name on it, but it says after that movie, I put my legs together and nothing was the same again. <laughs> and I thought that comment kind of sums it up.
0: <laughs> yes. That could that could well, go I, t- I, I think that means that guy went just, and joined the monoski cult. Yeah. <laughs> where they, they practice celibacy, I think. I'm not quite sure what that yeah. Um that's a reason of that one. Yeah. Um, but this one, I go with the, the kind of the effect
1: of what it has on people, having watched it with a lot of people, seeing their reactions, like the old school laugh meter and like applause meter. Like it always goes off the charts with this movie is it's so silly. Um, I show it to my kids all the time and they just like, can't stop laughing. I showed it to my dad. He like laughed harder than I've ever heard him. I think it belongs in, like, it has to be in people's ski watch history. Has to. For sure. So, it's a, it's in the pantheon for me. Like, if anyone asks about, like, favorite ski movies, I'm always going to throw this one out. And that's probably how you first started watching it, Jonathan, like, 13 years ago, 14 years ago, whatever that was.
0: Yeah, I we might need to, you know, this is only episode number three of Blister Cinematic, so we might at some point overhaul our final grade system so for me because this actually fits absolutely into three of our categories as you've said it is absolutely underrated i'm calling this a modern classic and i'm also calling this a pantheon film an all-timer um it's probably the single best film in its class because it's the only film in its class it's one of one Um, If it's not one of one, it's only because there is an Apocalypse Snow 2 and 3. And by the way, I'm really proud of us. We did not talk about those films, which we kind of said we weren't going to, because we are absolutely going to be doing like a full episode on on 2 and 3. So um, very proud of you guys. We were not exercising that much self-restraint before hitting the record button, you've really made me proud uh about your ability to steer clear of talk on this so um yeah I it's a it's astonishing it's it's an underrated modern classic all timer that's probably the single best film in its one of one class. <laughs> How's that?
2: No, I like that I like that. Um, I mean yeah there was no way we could talk about two and three. You wouldn't talk about Godfather two and three on a Godfather podcast. It just wouldn't make sense. And to me, I mean, this I will say this it's the single best trilogy in 1980s snowboard films. (laughs)
0: Um,
2: because obviously we can't talk about all trilogy, because obviously Ski Movie is a trilogy, Ski Movie One, Mm -hmm. Ski Movie Two, uh Rice has three movies that are part of a trilogy. Mm -hmm. You know, so we can't say it's the single greatest trilogy, but it's certainly like one of the best trilogies um, in part because it's probably the only like, there's very few trilogies in, in this, in these genres. So um, again, if you're making ski and snowboard films, have a three film plan. It'll help the long shift of your career. Or you can be, or you can be like Cody and just
0: make 50. Yeah. Just make 50 (laughs) smarter. Um, Well, Mike, you mentioned the Godfather and I think that's appropriate Because if the next 48 hours go according to plan, I will be speaking with the Godfather at 1 a.m. in the morning, which actually just seems like the most fitting thing possible. We'll see if it happens. I'm just slightly worried that something's going to fall through. The Internet's going to go down or something. But uh, I can't wait. That should be amazing. And um, you're going to get to hear from our great hero himself, folks. So... Should be good, but man, you two were no slouches whatsoever on this. So thanks so much for this conversation, and uh, we will we will do it again. We'll be hearing from both of you more on Blister Cinematic, and um, yeah, well done, folks. This was this was this was good. You did you did good. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right, guys, we'll talk to you soon. Well, that's it for this edition of Blister Cinematic. Thanks to Mike and J-Bob for the great conversation. Thanks also to J-Bob for producing this episode. And remember, folks, next week, we're talking with Regis Roland about this film again, and I cannot wait for you to hear it. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week, and we will talk to you real soon.